0: Okay, welcome everybody. It's lovely to have another session of the CEO's Inspiring Leadership Forum uh, as part of this. We're very lucky today to have Darren Moorcroft, the CEO of the Woodland Trust, uh, David Harney, the President and CEO of Europe for Canada Life Group, Danny Payne, the CEO of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and Development Services, FCDO Services, uh, James Bashel, a former Lieutenant General in the British Army, who's now advising uh, top teams and boards, Simon Brewer, the, who runs the Money, the Money Maze podcast, which is incredibly successful. Martin Wilson, the CEO of Digital Identity Net, D-I-N. Um, and it's great to have the team together. So um, perhaps we can begin that the topic that we've got, which I really find very interesting is, and the question we're talking about is, how have you leveraged the connection between technology and strategy in our new normal digital world. Uh, Danny, would you start us off, and then James can follow on from
1: you. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, and it's great to be uh, part of this panel again. Um, so I always think strategy is, is a word that overstates itself. It's really about a plan, you know, and um, and when we look at our sort of forthcoming business and what we're there to do, having a really solid plan and then making it as effective as possible uh, is where is where digital and technology really makes a difference for us. Um, So so we we developed a strategy which largely moved us into a far more dynamic international business. Um, And so we're now delivering across 300 cities around the world. And we've used technology firstly to make sure that we know how our services are performing uh, as they're being delivered by staff who are empowered globally to to get on with things without micromanagement. Um, We know where they are, we know what they're doing, we know the performance of the systems and services. It's all technology enabled. And as we develop all of that and take it to the next level of performance and capability, which is where our clients want us to be, uh, we're running agile program management and agile agile systems with a backlog to be able to push new apps, push new technology, push it through at speed, um, which is a very different way than we would have done this in the past with things like waterfall-based activity. So uh, it does give us uh, an opportunity to be quite dynamic and, 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 and purposeful around, which systems and applications we use that can improve our performance. Uh, And then fundamentally the bedrock of good customer service that we have uh, is is about being trusted. And this is where our strategy of trusted agile global has really cemented growth for us. Um, And we've looked at the principles of the three R's reliability, responsiveness, and relationships. And we've looked at the underpinning performance of our organization against each of those three areas. So where we're reliable we can see what the customer journey looks like using technology to tell us where it works and where it's failing. And that enables us to get customer satisfaction, customer ratings, customer references. Uh, and underneath all of that, we put in place uh, really effective latest uh, generation tools, whether it's Salesforce or whether it's uh, project planning um, ServiceNow, whether it's Microsoft projects, um, whether it's ERP or, or business intelligence. And that tells us against 155 lines of service exactly what's going on well and gives people the tools instead of the paperwork to make good quality decisions. So I'd say um, we're so far into our reliance on technology and strategy um, that then, then it'd be now quite difficult to to sort of step away from that and do it differently.
0: Thanks, Danny. That's really good. James, what's been your experience um, in, in your different areas?
2: Well, good afternoon, Jonathan. Good afternoon, everybody. I mean, I, I don't like to run a company, so I'm, I, I, can, I can only observe what I, I can only reflect what I observe. And I think the, the one, the biggest area that I've seen, which is now where technology is shaping and, and interlacing with strategy, is the provision of data. And the, the, the quantity of data, as we all understand, is exponential. But the amount that we can store, uh, and so we're seeing, you know, my work with Fujitsu, much greater use now of vast data centers, secure data centers for people to, 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 to hold their data and the provision of cloud services and all of that. And I think what that really has mean, is meaning in strategy terms is that decision-making is becoming much more objective because you can measure so much more now. And so on a course of action, once you've gone down it, you can actually measure how far you've gone and where you're going as well as measuring opportunities for business to grow into. I I mean, I I just think it's changed the dynamics of measurement uh, in ways that that are previously unthinkable. Mm -hmm. So I think that for me at the moment, that that would be my first sort of thought, is is it just the the, the quantity of data and how people are using it to make objective decision-making, I think, is a a huge change. Brilliant. Thanks, James. Simon, you've worked in a whole variety of different organisations. Uh, and
0: now you're interviewing a whole variety of top people. What, what What is your experience and your views in this area?
3: Well, I sort of paused on two of those words that you had used in your description, which were leveraged and strategy. And I thought that certainly if I speak for myself, of a certain generation. Um, Before I even got to leverage, I had to master number one and manage number two. So leverage was, first of all, not something I could immediately believe I could harness. Um, And I think in terms of strategy, I think that, again, you know, the businesses that I'm involved with were more about tactical responses initially, you know, and then some strategic thinking. I suppose that, you know, you can grow an audience in a world that has changed and can use technology quite easily particularly in some industries, whether it's Amazon or whether it's podcasting. If you want to close deals, we had, we got, uh, there was a hundred million dollars worth of business that came out of one of the podcasts I did. We it it's very much more difficult to actually put those two parties together and monetize it, you know, as a sort of, as a, the intermediary as we were. So you've got, I think going on this dichotomy as it was epitomized, Morgan Stanley, my, my alma mater is unequivocal get back to work guys. And another private equity firm said yesterday that they promoted somebody who was younger and possibly less brilliant, but because he had been in the office a lot and was showing willing and they were sending a very clear message. So I think there is a camp which is back to work. Let's focus. Let's resume something that approaches normal. And there are some other firms like the accountancy firms that are suggesting that they're sort of teams that they can work you know, remotely. So I think there's sort of battle lines actually that have come. I mean, there's a sort of a you know, uh, but ultimately, um, I think it's a way of making sure that we can work as in a parallel universe. I don't see th- I don't see it substituting the imperative in many industries for human contact to develop meaningful relationships, to develop equity in young people, um, and to be able to get more stuff done. Mm,
0: brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Now, Martin. Uh, it would be quite useful to people listening. Do you explain what Digital Identity Net has just started to create and then how you see this? I think it'd be useful to hear that. Uh,
4: Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Um, Yeah, so I'll take Simon's cue. I paused on um, four words, but not the same words as, as Simon did. I paused on new normal digital world um, and that has resonance for a couple of reasons, which I'll come on to. It has resonance in the first instance because um, we're an infant organization. Digital Identity Net was founded at the very end of 2019. So we were born in the COVID era. Um, and the, the, the service that we um, are launching is the ability for individuals and ultimately corporates to identify themselves um, whilst operating in an online world so that the person that they're interacting with is in no doubt that you are who you say you are. And when we talk about a digital world where being able to prove your identity and, and be absolutely confident that you're dealing with the person that they say that they are is going to be vitally important. We've all heard about identity theft and we all understand The the risks of um, not just identity theft, but, you know, the risks in payments um, of being able to steal, for example, credit cards and then use that data to make transactions. Very real risks indeed. If you introduce a service using the identities uh, data that banks already have on every adult individual in the UK so that you as an individual can can use the data that they have on you and give authority for that data to be shared with the third party that you want to interact with in a very simple and frictionless way, then that adds to the whole security of any interaction that you want to make online, whether that's making doing your weekly shop with Morrisons, or whether it's uh, signing a, signing a contract with with your lawyers, so that's the service that we're that we're launching, um, and um, you already see therefore the link in terms of le- leveraging technology and strategy. Hence, you probably see why I paused on the new normal digital world because this is absolutely of the moment, as as the as the entire population has. Accelerated and leapt into a digital world, which um, only eighteen months ago, two years ago, many were in denial about. We heard a little horror story from Simon about the, the get back to work horror story is quite is quite uh, pertinent here. But we've leapt forward as a result of of uh, the the COVID pandemic, and therefore we need to change the entire dynamic about how we do, how we do business. Mm. So the so the service that we operate is of the moment. How we, how we did this, though, if you remember, we were born in the COVID age. I would describe us as having no fixed abode. We don't have an office, we operate digitally, we operate remotely, we operate through the use of Teams and Zoom and all of the other collaborative tools that we've got. Our, our staff, of which we're a team of over 30 now, some of them have never met. Never met each other. They don't. They, there isn't a concept of getting back to work because they're already at work. They're already at work all the time, and they can interact. and People say, "What about the uh, water cooler conversations?" Well, that's what the button on Teams is for. When you press the camera and you just reach out to, to, to chat with a colleague. So building a building a, a whole culture in an organization that leverages technology in a new digital age is actually complementary to the service that we're providing as well so it's been quite an exciting journey for us despite the pandemic that we all find ourselves in
0: yeah and thanks man before you before you (laughs) we move on to to darren next it was interesting that your background was in the big banks wasn't it in the big monolithic banks but yet you're now having to be very agile it's a bit like a sort of super tanker versus a young speedboat uh you've gone from one to the other haven't you
4: yeah, so so uh, yes, my my background is in um, in financial services for over over twenty years, and latterly the last five years were with uh, the RBS group, now known as NatWest. Yeah, um, and um, yes, the, the there's a there's a good and bad element about how they've operated NatWest over the last years that I was there. Did move very much to remote working and collaborative working and using using technology as collaborative tools, um,
0: but then there's room for improvement in other areas. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Martin. That's great, Darren. What, in the in the woodland Trust, give us some of your own experience and maybe even before that, the RSPB and on this topic. Uh,
5: thanks, Jonathan, uh, and good afternoon. I think the uh, the way I've sort of thought about this in terms of leveraging technology for the strategy for an organisation that's. kind of UK's largest woodland conservation charity is uh, you know we have a mission about connecting people with nature and typically we have sites around the UK which may see a footfall in the tens of thousands Uh, but I suppose what technology has allowed us to do is to bring that connection and that experience of being out in nature into the homes of people uh, in some of the places that we own which are very far away from where people live uh, you know, we had a great example in 2020 where they, a pair of ospreys, you know, these big birds of prey, you know, living on the top of a pine pine tree in the middle of a forest in Scotland, miles away from anywhere, was beamed into the households of millions and became kind of media stars. And people were just really engaged with something that they perhaps would never normally see. Um, so that technological connection can be a really powerful one for an organisation and charity, you know, how technology helps us to have that relationship with our supporter base is really important so I think that would be one I think the other uh, would be enabling us to record and report on our impact so the you know in the woods and trees business there's an adage about the right tree in the right place uh, because you know every tree has value but if you put it in the right place it has multiple values And therefore, as an organization, trying to make sure that we've got clean air to breathe, uh, we're alleviating flooding, homes for wildlife, blocking up carbon, where these trees go, really have an impact on uh, the benefits that they provide for society. And technology will allow us to map those, to track its progress and be able to report to those people who support us to really show the impact of their support, uh, which is really important. And then I suppose, finally, Having a kind of audience centric approach, which I know lots of companies do, but with, a, you know, we have a, a membership and supporter base of over 500,000. You can't have that one to one relationship with that number of people, but people want to have a kind of one to one relationship. And technology allows you to do that far more easily uh, in order that you're having the conversation relationship that they want with you as a as a charity, as a business, as an organization. And in doing so, I think it really helps you to uh, show your value uh, and why people, you know, in in the charitable context should support what you do when there are a whole range of worthy uh, charities out there that are worthy of support.
0: Yeah, well, beautifully put, Darren, and I've never quite understood um, how important what you've just said is until you put it in in that beautiful context. I'm in a moment going to go to David Harney, and then after that, We'll do another circuit of the group. And, and just so you can prepare yourselves, guys, because I haven't prepared you for this, really. Uh, Daniel will start us off about what are the greatest challenges and the greatest opportunities from, from here on in, um, in this 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 combination of strategy, technology, digitization. Greatest challenges uh, or the greatest opportunities. You can speak on both or, or either uh, in the next bit. Very lucky to have David Harney, the president and CEO of uh, for Europe for Canada Life Group, David, welcome. It's good to have you on board. What's what's your own thoughts and experience on this topic?
6: Yeah, thanks, Jonathan, and, and good afternoon, everybody. I probably didn't read the title maybe as closely as uh, some of the others, but I did see the words uh, technology and and strategy, and um, like certainly I don't know if we leverage often, but they're they're just totally integrated now. And interestingly, we've just um, or I've come off our sort of annual strategy update with with our parent uh, that we do every year. And, you know, we normally present out in each of the markets. um, But for the first time, each of the markets actually had to present their IT strategy as a core part of that. So it just goes to how integrated these topics are now. They just go hand in hand. I've probably seen two aspects, so one is I think it's led to a lot of innovation in financial services which has been fantastic for customers and, you know, we probably went through a period for a couple of years now where it's invited in a lot of new tech companies who, you know, have the mindset that they can be much better than the incumbents and in in fairness a lot of them have delivered uh, much better services and products. Um, They found it hard to acquire big customer bases, though, to to pay for the cost of all those investments. So that's sort of moved on to a new phase now where I think there's a lot of cooperation and working together between the incumbents that have the customers and the technology companies maybe that are innovating better and, and delivering new products and services. And, and I think that's also led to a great improvement in the way the incumbents work as well. You know, one of the earlier speakers mentioned the movement to agile working and how we organize our IT projects. And it's about, you know, sort of learning fast, understanding what works, killing projects that don't, don't work and, and really focus on things that work for customers. And And that's you know, generated a great energy and enthusiasm um, in in our companies. There's another dynamic, though, that's the opposite of that, um, which is, you know, again, another somebody else mentioned the power of data and things like that. And you need to be much more structured uh, for that. Um, You know, so at one level, we want to encourage each of the businesses to innovate and and do things quickly and experiment a lot. Um, But the opposite dynamic is the need then for much more standardization actually across our group, which pushes against that because if if you want to leverage that data and the power of it, um, you need a more consistent approach. So that's that's a force in the opposite direction. And and the other sort of force in that opposite direction as well is just on cybersecurity, particularly in financial services. Um, you know, so so we're having to spend a huge, huge amounts of money as all financial services are, just in, in protecting and making that data secure. And that introduces a new level of, of bureaucracy in, in our IT agendas that that wasn't that wasn't there before.
0: Great, thanks, David. So, um, a really useful round there. Let's go on to the next one. What's the greatest challenges that you think are coming up now, and the greatest opportunities? Danny, you're uh, always got a lovely broad global view. I always find it interesting talking to you. What's What's your thoughts on this topic? Um, well, I think we all
6: want
1: we all want the latest uh, data, um, the latest technology, the latest um, equipment, uh, the latest apps, and and I think the speed at which that keeps coming forward uh, often is quite challenging for an organization to be able to adopt and afford and implement. Uh, and, um, you know, never have IT teams had to work harder to keep up with the expectations and demands of a business. So I think it's both, there's both a light and shade in all of that. Cause I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly positive, the fact that you can do your work much more easily almost anywhere uh, in, in many cases. Um, but you know at the same time it brings with it you, still a lot of reliance we have on legacy, which doesn't have a great deal of interoperable um, connectivity with modern applications and modern ways of, of working so that that relationship between between legacy and uh, and sort of um, uh, uh, modern IT and modern, modern digital approach uh, is quite tricky in, in many organizations. I think cyber is is another one as well you know is it's, to keep up with, uh, your cyber protection, you've got to invest an awful lot, uh, in, in, um, patch management processes, systems, people, all that good stuff. And if you don't do it, you can, you can almost be wiped out as a, as a company. Um, so I think cyber is, is just one of those things that it's, it's really important hygiene, but it's getting so sophisticated in terms of what can be done to you and what you can lose. Um, I think it really needs to be top agenda. And people, people like me, you know, we need to be worrying as much about about cyber as we are worrying about, you know, are we supporting our customers? Um, because before you know it, um, actually, you've got horrendous headlines on your hands, uh, and you're looking for another job. Uh, the um, the other thing I think as well, which is a really interesting one, and I'm not sure whether it's a challenge or an opportunity, but it kind of kind of crosses that boundary, which is which is hybrid working. Um, now, it's been forced upon us uh, largely because of COVID. And we were in the past trying to get people to adopt teams as a way of working. You know, now, if we didn't have it, we just couldn't do our work. So it's been, it's revolutionized us, Uh, but, but you know, it's quite difficult when you've got a lot of apprentices and people coming into an organization to really get a sense of, you know, how do you learn from others? If you're in a hybrid world, you know, how do you, how do you adopt the culture of the organization? You know, how do you feel involved? And I think, I think there's, there's some things that are just lost through digital that, you know, the social creatures that we are as humans, uh, only get from being from being together. Uh, and so I think whilst it gives great opportunity for flexibility, uh, and, and the way we use space, and the way we use buildings and, and, and the way we work. I also think there's a there's a social side that technology cannot replace.
0: Yeah, really interesting uh, viewpoints there Danny, as I, I knew you would have. Uh, James, what's, what's your own uh, perspectives on what the greatest challenges are going forward and the greatest opportunities?
2: Well, thank you. I think the opportunities are boundless, and you just, we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, I believe that there's this huge potential here to exploit new technologies as it comes through to, to really make our world better and, and just, just deal with all sorts of challenges, um, but just having the brain power and the vision and the understanding of the technology to be able to exploit it, I think, in a business sense. Uh, I think on the challenges, I mean I, I'm not sure I could really add much to what's just been said um, by Danny, but I, I think legacy is is a huge issue for business, but and I saw that I see that a lot in the military, you know trying to upgrade things because technology is going so fast that you can't keep up with it and and you've only just got one thing and something else to replace and trying to integrate legacy kit with with new technology is very difficult. I think also, as been mentioned and touched on, there's, there's threats. I don't think we understand all the threats that are out there because of what we're doing. And I think another area that I think is a threat, which we, again, we, we are looking at is, is robotics and, and AI and understanding the, you know, trying to get this machine human interface correct and how much autonomy and authority are we gonna to give to machinery and trying to understand the consequence of that both in a moral sense uh, but also in a business sense. And then finally, I'll just emphasize again, this, this human point. I mean, one of the organizations I work for has had a profound breakdown of trust by people being, by being remote and you just can't replicate. Now you can make a huge amount of saving by not bringing people into London for a meeting, but it's very hard to quantify the value you get from uh, breaking bread and drinking wine together the night before and how much business is done in that regard which uh, you can't put, a, can't put a, a fiscal value on. But nonetheless, it actually helps bond and bind the team together. And I think we got—I think there's a challenge. And I, and I think people have got different positions on all this, but I, I do see it as a challenge. And I've witnessed, as I said, a, a breakdown of trust and a good working relationship because of the remoteness of working in the last 18 months.
0: Yeah. Thanks, James. Gr- great points, as I knew you'd have. Simon, what's uh, your freshest thinking on these uh, uh, opportunities, challenges and threats? What, what do you think?
3: Well, I think it's always nice to be asked the question first, lest you repeat what the other two people ahead of you have just said. So (laughs) so I will say I will say the human condition is not a solitary one. And then I will leave it right there. And then Um, I think that the opportunity is actually without wanting to be sort of polemical. It's a it's at a national level. You know, I think the analogy has been drawn quite correctly, actually, by the lead investor at Lansdowne and Brian, I know he's not on the show today, but um, Essentially, the landscape is not dissimilar from that after the Second World War, and that's a consequence of COVID and Brexit, enormous opportunity. When you look at internet retail penetration in the UK before you know, COVID, we were already meaningfully ahead of Europe, Um, but we know where much of Asia is as well. So the UK's, the, the absolute essential need for dynamism and for flexibility, which has been exhibited, you know, I think sort of, you know, pretty well. I was on a call with the Treasury the other day and they were, you know, they're trying to figure out how financial services needs to, you know, to adapt beyond the noise that's being generated about where you know equity business is being booked i I just think that you know there are you know we are replete with incredibly interesting opportunities um and you know uh, the worries are therefore that government gets in the way of doing business because governments generally get in the way um of whatever color that they are and that our education systems you know, don't give us the support, and I'm not going to bore you with my view on the failings of British universities. But it is apparent to me that the that if we're not careful, we will slip backwards savagely because COVID has been an excuse to mask some pretty poor performance at so-called Russell Group universities. So I'm slightly gone off piece here.
0: Oh, and and very good point, Simon. Thank you. I knew they would be. Um, let's go from Simon to Martin. What's your, your, think, your thoughts, Martin, about greatest challenges and threats and uh, greatest opportunities?
4: Um, if I'm gonna start at the end, I would start with, there's a great opportunity to change the way we do things, but I'm gonna come back to that in a second because I, I just wanted to add to, to a couple of points. Simon's just talked about there, the kind of digital expansion that's a, an example of changing the way we do things in the first place. But just to put a number on it, we've done analysis around um, the provision of digital identity services. Um, and um, the, the estimations are that with a, a efficient and um, whole-of-market digital identity service, you can actually increase GDP by something around 3%. That wasn't our analysis. That was McKinsey's analysis. And so, so it comes... I'd rather talk about the opportunities, <clears throat> but actually embracing the changes that some of, some of which we've been forced into and some of which we've kind of wanted to get to but never found the, the, the levers to do so is actually, is actually hugely beneficial. And I think that complements some of the points that that Simon was making. How many organisations wanted to adopt... Teams, but really couldn't get that push to push the rock over the over the cliff, and then were moved into it through through COVID. Um, so so the opportunity here with with technology and should be built into into everybody's strategy is how do you, how do you embrace it rather than how do you think about what resistances there will be to it. Now, I'm not, I'm not decrying at one moment <clears throat> the importance of human interaction and personal interaction. That's very, very important. Finding the way, I think Danny referenced hybrid, finding the way to have a hybrid way of working, which becomes the norm, will be hugely beneficial, not just in the workplace, but, but socially as well. So I, I'll, I'll go back to our, our own example. And I, and it it was the same in in, um, in NatWest. When we moved NatWest, we moved we moved a whole function of NatWest out of out of London into um, the the northwest, into Manchester, and into India. And therefore, the need for remote working capability was accentuated, and people moved to it. But there was also a need for human interaction as well. So we had a, we had a whole routine of. How you, how you connect on a day-to-day basis remotely and how you get together. We've done exactly the same in Digital Identity Net. So we've never, some have never met. Others meet quite regularly in office space in a location that's mutually inconvenient to the, to the team. Okay, so you, you do, you work on finding the balance, but better to work on finding the solutions than not moving forward. And saying it can't be done because there's too many there's too many obstacles push through the obstacles find a new way change the ways that you
0: do things brilliant very incisive thank you martin um darren what's your thoughts on um, opportunities challenges threats any of those topics that have been talked
5: i suppose picking up from where kind of martin was talking about i think the um the challenges and the opportunities are almost Two sides of, the, of, a, of a coin it's how it's how you embrace them or not as the case may be and I think one of the things that we've seen over the last 15 months is uh, it almost rocket fuel the, uh, the adoption of technology uh, to make it an opportunity and, and I think where we're coming out of we have to be mindful of how people have been accepting of that because of the uh, circumstances they found themselves in but as we go back to the potential of going back to a new normal they kind of then start to question about whether things should go back because they quite liked it that way, or they quite like the new way, and therefore, uh, they don't want it to go back. And I think that's part of the, the challenge and the opportunity. I think the the other big opportunity, I would say, is for in recruitment for an organization like ours, where you know, most, of the, most of the tasks and work that we have a, a requirement for can now be done anywhere. Um, as whereas before we were recruiting from a very probably a much smaller pool geographically, now it's opened up a much wider wider net. And I think the, uh, and that helps us with thinking about, you know, our diversity and inclusion agenda, uh, the skill bases that we need and the, uh, the opportunity to bring those in without them having to come from a particularly sort of very specific radius around a given office. Um, I think the challenge or the opposite to that is obviously all of your good staff are now operating in a UK market where uh, others are you know others are keen to employ them as well so I think there's a there's a real sense of having to really look after the, your staff and do that thing about making them more employable and making them want to stay because they know that you're an organization that they wish to they wish to work for because you give their work uh, a purpose. Um, I suppose finally You know, we have some people who have really good skills in doing what they do, but perhaps recording what they do is not great. And going back to my earlier point about impact, uh, I think one of the things that technology gives us as a real opportunity is to help those people to collect data in real time, rather than seeing it as a bureaucratic task which takes them away from the things that they love. So people out in the field talking with landowners about what they can do and what they can create they can record all of that on their iPad or their, you know, their their smartphone and then have that downloaded when they get back to the office, rather than turning the computer on, opening a spreadsheet, filling in boxes and kind of feeling like they're not doing the job that they came to do. Um, I think that's a that's a real opportunity to get the best out of people doing the things that they love best.
0: That's great. And, and again, uh, like last time, before I asked David to share his thinking on this, just to prepare the the team for um, uh, the next round. It's really, I'm interested in people's freshest thinking, particularly about the area that I think Darren's touched on, about recruitment. I've been talking to companies that are in the USA who are trying to recruit people in, let's say, uh, Seattle, where they've got loads of people around them, Amazon and others are fighting for the same people. And there's a real war for talent. Uh, And it's only a certain pool. Uh, and, And they're now starting to go global. But then do they pay them what they'd be paid in seattle or do they pay them what they'd be paid in india or in the uk and and it i think it's a very interesting area so i'd also like people in the next bit of your freshest thinking what is the impact on people uh, of this new strategy digital and technology side uh, and the world that we're going to be in we've talked about hybrid working uh, some going no we're going back to how we were a la goldman sachs nothing's changed others like you know martin's experience in many of the entrepreneurial tech companies going everything's changed and, and we can do it how we want to design it um but make sure we find occasions like we had larry english who you all know his book office optional where larry has been running his tech company for 20 years and they've never had an office and there's a thousand one hundred of them and they do as martin does they come together on three occasions in the year for two days, they fly them in from all over the world, wherever they might be, or all over America or India, whatever it is, bring their partners with them and have two days, they even have a band that never plays together during the year, but three times a year, they all play together. It's brilliant. And, and just there's fun and there's frivolity and the CEO gets the chance to speak to them. So I, I'd like you to sort of start thinking about people and your freshest thinking about that in this in this new world that we've got. So David, on this topic about the challenges uh, and the threats and the great opportunity. What What do you think?
6: Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick, which will just allow us to move on uh, to the next question. Like I liked uh, James optimism. So I, like, I think the potential here is huge. Like, you know, the fact that we got through COVID is a victory for our technology. Um, even the amount of money that's been pumped into the economies now and you know, I think it's going to generate minimum inflation again goes to the huge productivity that's in economies that we haven't really realised and that could have really fundamental ways uh, the way governments uh, I think spend uh, going forward. Um, the big challenges I'd say are legacy and, and cyber and, and they've been well mentioned. Um, I think the big opportunities are for me are things, actually the digital identity project that Martin is working on is hugely important so like we are not leveraging properly off the technology we have until we have proper digital identity solutions. So it's great to see Martin working on that. And then AI and just the integration of AI into all of our businesses' practices is a huge opportunity. And that's that's happening all the time. You know, AI has really advanced uh, hugely over the last years and is, uh, and is already embedded a lot in, in businesses and will continue to be, in, and that's driving huge productivity gains as well.
0: Great, David, lovely to hear that, thank you. So Danny, would you pick us up the, the theme on sort of freshest thinking, particularly around people practice and how we, we handle our people? What's your, your thinking on this topic?
1: Um, well, I suppose a reflection, uh, really. I mean, I mean, digital accelerates change um, if you embrace it. And if you don't embrace it, actually you get left behind. So um, uh, there's a fascinating uh, people impact on all of this. Uh, if you look at the U.S. exchange in in the 1960s, there was a million people working the exchange. There's no one does that anymore, right? Um, now they didn't suddenly chop a million people off and say you no longer have a job. You know, it just the, the exchange became automated. Um, and I guess as you look at a digital revolution, you know, it's not happening immediately, but it's happening at a very rapid rate. Um, so I think I think there's there's both an opportunity for people in the fact that. Those who are able to keep up with the rate of change of technology actually have, have got a pretty sort of interesting uh, developing career for a long for a long time ahead. Those who aren't able to do that becomes much more complex for them. And and I think you know there will be you know limitations uh, for people that you know in the future are, are less digitally enabled. And um, and so I, so I think you know it's really important for organisations to really understand the digital awareness of everybody and all the different talent that you've got in your organization and be investing properly in people who might be struggling a little more with data than those who find it easy. And Mm -hmm. I think often we we put the data in we put the technology in, we put the systems in uh, and we sort of just hope people know how to use it you know and actually there's a big change management piece that that needs to be really delivered properly in order to get the best out of people who are using the tools that you've given them. So I think I think it's keeping up with that change uh, i think
0: that's really important great thanks danny and uh, before i go to james uh, we'll we'll do this round again if you each just take a couple of minutes we'll have enough time then for a final 30 seconds just for each of you to end with a top tip you'd give people uh, for this new digital world and uh, the, the the combination of strategy and technology so your, your your top tip that you'd offer people in 30 seconds um james what's your thinking about the the, the people side uh, I think, of this
2: well thank you i, I think. Uh, and what, I mean, has said it a large amount already again. <laughs> you know, that, that it, it depends where you sit. There's change coming, which is, which is huge. And if you're in a mandraulic job, you may be vulnerable. And there's going to have to be, we just said, you know, if you're going to increase your productivity, you're probably going to reduce your workforce. And but it depends where you sit in this. And those who embrace change and, and are qualified, the opportunity, as someone said earlier, to employ someone from anywhere in the world uh, now to work for you is, is immense. I mean, you think you've just opened up your job market uh, a huge, by a huge degree. You don't have to physically be in the same place. It's obvious, isn't it? Um, but if you're working in a factory that's making stuff, you may find that you, you may be your, your job is threatened. So if I take, and I just, I'll use the example, I just think about this, my, my, my wife, as you know, and you know her, Jonathan, because she, she's a surgeon. But there's equipment now that she has been given at the end of the pandemic that is now able... To see a patient remotely, so she can have at home the data that she would normally have had to go to the hospital to measure. Um, and and beyond that, again, there is the opportunity potentially to operate remotely. Now that's quite scary; it's, it's the way off, but it's there uh, because machines can do so much for you. So so you're you're, you're going to see in the NHS a shift in in workforce. Um, in, in her particular area i think without doubt and again so it depends where you sit if you've you know if you work in the hospital and that's your job then you might lose it and um, but she will become much more pr- productive because she'll be able to deal with a lot more patients per hour than she ever was when they all had to come into a waiting room and 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 mm,
0: fascinating thanks james simon what's your thought on the on the people side and and, and anything else on your freshest thinking really
3: well, I think that, you know, 30 years ago, we began this global labour arbitrage because Asia through China opened up, Eastern Europe barriers came down, low-cost labour could be accessed, and we have lived in a disinflationary climate in part a function of that for 30 years. Now, there are good reason to believe that COVID has done two things. Number one is that it has made people consciously concerned about why they should have important materials manufactured in a place like China for reasons, whatever your political bias, if you can't get hold of stuff that's critical to your own health of the economy, so therefore supply chains are being reorientated and therefore labour pools that you will access may not be as far away. I think that's number one. Number two, that there's an inflationary component because a lot of the cheap labour has been used up. We know that, you know, China has been now, you've now got, I think, Mexico cheaper than China and China has become more expensive in a lot of areas and other Asian countries and more production's moved to Vietnam. So I think there's a dynamic. Now we're talking about, you know, people who aren't making goods here typically, but I think that if we're moving in, as we've argued on this show, or I've argued on this show, there's a big inflationary problem. Central banks have been profoundly lax and stored up a bunch of problems. So then we're going to be dealing with, you know, labour inflation, scarce resources, and the old one about training. And, you know, again, comes back to the UK. So, you know, to what extent should we think, you know, Germany's model of apprenticeships has been profoundly helpful to the German economy? We've always sort of looked slightly down at that in part, and I think we should be reviewing actively, taking people out of schools and, you know, getting them trained in these, particularly where firms have strong tech prestige and you know competences and get them out and learning quickly
0: very interesting and so while we're on that topic what's your estimate of something like rpi next five years i mean what what in five years time what do you reckon it will be if you were to pick a percentage figure what, what are we I talking think
3: we should be living with inflation that you know three and a
0: half to six wow so it's going to be quite big, isn't it, this inflation?
3: Yeah. And central banks will deny that it's anything other than transitory and base effects and they won't act. And that will exacerbate the problem. But, you know, we've all been tripped up by great macro forecasts that look stupid later. So I'll stop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Simon. Martin, Martin Wilson, what's uh, your freshest thing on the, the sort of people's side or anything else of your freshest thinking from the, the topics we've been discussing?
4: Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> well, there's a, there's a couple of interesting points that James and, and Simon have both mentioned. Uh, you know, our, as James was talking, I was thinking, I think we've been worried about um, jobs being overtaken by technology for several hundred years now. So there's a, we, we have a tendency to adapt. And, and the, the, the one thing, Simon, that, the, that you didn't mention, which would actually support your argument is actually the impact people are far far more aware now of the impact on the environment of importing manufactured goods from all around the world when you could as could as easily build them here. So so there's a there's some dynamics, and that, and that kind of leads me on to to one of the points. What I've observed in the COVID period is a very different awareness amongst ordinary people about how how they interact with each other and how they interact with technology and and i'll go back to digital identity because that's my space at the moment um the the change in attitude to social media organizations and the level of understanding of what social media organizations do with the data that they collect has massively increased in the last 18 months to the point where it's now being kind of rejected. I'm not sure that I want Facebook to know everything about me. I'm not sure why I want to log in to make my uh, weekly shop through Facebook, because they then have all of that data too. So there's a, there's a real consciousness that's, that's developed um, around, around uh, the population, which you couldn't possibly have predicted 18 months ago, and is, is a very positive thing in enabling society to adapt to the new dynamic. So, so, you know, how that will happen, you know, if I, if I knew that I'd be uh, very much richer than I am. So um, I don't know, but the, the, it always starts with awareness. And as a, as a community becomes aware of the challenges that, they've now, that they are now facing and the different challenges that they're now facing, then they'd start to learn, learn to adapt. So I'll give, if, I'm, if I may, Jonathan, I'll give you a tiny, tiny, tiny example. We talked about, we're talking about people here and we've not, I've not even mentioned them. So the 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 people in my organization who are most keen to get together are the, are the, are the youngest members of the team because they've, they've never worked in an office. They kind of feel that need to, to socialize. But they also recognize that they're closer to their colleagues than they could possibly imagine because they're only one button click away from anybody and that's, that's a that's a hugely it sounds a bit contradictory in a way but it's a, it's a re- really really interesting interesting dynamic and by closer I mean they know people more personally because they're in people's rooms every day you're in my study right now right I can show you you know the dog behind me that's what my staff see that's what people do so that's how we've adapted to that social Vacuum that we've had over the last eighteen months, we've actually welcomed everybody into our homes. That brings mm. people closer. It's yeah. a way of adapting.
0: Brilliant point, brilliant point. So, Darren, thank you, Martin. Um, let's not only just talk about people, but as was mentioned briefly, the impact on the environment—something close and dear to your heart—of all these supply chains to China and back, and and uh, you know we're going to get electric cars rather than people going to fuel stations and stuff like that. What's your thoughts on both the environment and bringing your own views on people?
5: So I'll say very briefly, in terms of the environment, I think there's a greater awareness of, as Martin says, the supply chain impacts and people are becoming much more savvy as to what they want their particular footprint to be uh, and demanding information from uh, from suppliers in order to have a, kind of a reasonable reason for purchasing a versus B and I think if that's all for the good actually because I think uh, regardless of which one you purchase you should know what your impact is yeah. uh, and, I, and I think on people um, I suppose it's a, an area which links back to I think something that Danny said around hybrid working you know, I'm, I'm quite interested from a staff perspective and how people feel about their own role and their and their own status because we're having a conversation around we have a HQ and we have country and regional offices Um well, actually, should we have a HQ or should we just have hubs? Because if you work in the HQ, are you do you have some sense of status over anybody who works in a regional office? And actually, as an organisation which is spread out across the UK, uh, I'm interested in thinking about actually let's lose the HQ uh, title and have a and that may have a very good psychological impact on the whole organisation, as to they're all working together rather than one telling another what they should do or what they shouldn't do, policing what they do or what they shouldn't do.
0: Very good, Darren. Thank you. So, David, and then we'll have the 30 seconds from each of you on your sort of top tip for everybody. Um, David, what's your uh, your minute on this topic? And then we'll go on.
6: Yeah, well, I, I think the impact on people is potentially huge. AI is very difficult to predict, so it could just open up lots of new jobs or it could be a killer. And I suppose there's always been predictions over time about the loss of jobs through technology that's never happened this time, that might be different though. And um, the other quick point I'd make is just on, on recruitment and that, and um, that's probably much more difficult than we think. So um, it is quite hard for firms to employ people outside their countries. And I know there's a lot of pushback against globalization and attempts to sort of harmonize tax. And I think a more innovative approach is going to be needed on income tax as well, if we're to allow that flexibility in, in working. So, um, I think that might be something to watch as well.
0: Great, David, thank you. So Danny, will you start our quick fire round of 30 seconds top tips from the team?
1: Yeah, um, well, very simply, I think um, uh, in a a way of what's the purpose of your organization, what's your strategy, what's your structure? uh, I think now we need to make sure we understand how digitally enabled your structure needs to be in order to deliver your strategy and purpose.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for that, Danny, great. James, what's your top tip? I would just say that the change is so fast and difficult to understand that you need to educate yourself as best you can to try and understand what's changing in our world in front of Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Very wise. Thank you. Um, uh, Simon, what's your top
0: tip?
3: Keep adding to your education and keep getting trained, because this generation is going to live to 100 years.
0: Yeah, very shrewd. Martin, thank you, Simon. Your top tip. Given that
4: our audience is mainly CEOs, I would say, encourage your organizations to embrace the future. Look to ways of embracing the future and change the ways you do things because you because the alternative, you can always talk a good idea into a bad one.
0: So look okay. forward. Yeah, great. Thanks, Martin. Darren and then David to end us.
5: Uh, I suppose from my perspective, uh, build in flexibility, embrace the change and be willing to succeed or at least learn.
0: Yeah. Thanks, David. And if you all stay online when we end recording, I'll just have a final word with you all. David, your final top tip, please.
6: Yeah, very much the same. So lean to optimism and uh, encourage education and learning, not just for yourself, but your whole organisation.
0: Great. Thanks, David. So we're going to have our next uh, CEOs Forum podcast on the 16th of July. That's when it's actually going to be recorded, four till five. Uh, and it's about leaving a legacy in your work and in your life. How are you going to leave things better than you found them, uh, both uh, for the work you do and for the family and friends you have? So, thank you, everybody. Uh, please stay online uh, just for the last minute, but great to have you on and uh, great contributions. Thank you. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Perks, And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch, or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.